0: Welcome to Agency for Agents, a podcast for real estate team leaders and independent brokerage owners looking to maximize profits, effectiveness, and gain freedom for their team and business. Your hosts, Christine Andreessen and Aaron Hendon have been running one of the most successful real estate teams in the Seattle area for more than eight years. They know building a winning team means finding ways to empower, nurture, train, and develop individual agents to discover their own power their own agency. On the podcast, Christine and Aaron interview thought leaders in real estate and personal growth to help you impact both your performance and your teams. We know it takes a lot and leaders and brokers that crack that code reap the rewards of success greater than any they could ever achieve on their own.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm so excited about our guest today. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul before we get started. Paul offers a fresh perspective on creative real estate investing, and after five years of work at Ford Motor Company, he started a staffing company with a partner. Here's my favorite part. Five years later, they sold it to a publicly traded firm for $2.9 million. It's not a bad game for five years. Paul was the finalist for Ernst & Young Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year, two years straight, In 1996 and 1997, right? He later entered the real estate game, the real estate sector. Paul's flipped over 50 homes and 25 high-end waterfront lots. He's been on HGTV's House Hunter, rehabbed and managed rental properties. You're all up in our game, Paul, all over real estate world. I love it. Built a number of new homes, developed a subdivision, started two successful online real estate marketing firms. I think you can all tell we have got a master with us today. So, Paul, we're so excited to be with you and to talk about things that can actually enhance and empower other real estate ballers. Right? Awesome.
2: So, well, are you sure you've got a master or is it a shiny object chaser? Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, well, I think we're going to figure that out pretty quickly because what you've already told us, I'm pretty sure we got a master in the midst. Right. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's have some fun, my friend. We loved your story, Erin, and I. We love the rags to riches to rags to riches. I think many real estate agents know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever scale it is for each of us. You know, I think we've been there and done that, but we'd love to hear your perspective
0: on it. Yeah, give us your history. Give us a little bit of that background. though. Yeah.
2: It's so, tracks, so. After, yeah, after I quit Ford and had my own staffing firm, I moved to Virginia to the Blue Ridge Mountains. I was going to be the best father and the best husband ever i started a nonprofit organization to reach out to international students i was only 34 years old i was a high energy entrepreneur and i geared down from this fast paced entrepreneurial life to this extremely slow paced you know international student nonprofit which all the volunteers you know except me were pretty low energy and so i got bored pretty quick in fact I became the worst version of myself i became the worst husband the worst father and i think the worst friend of any time in my life because i wasn't really fulfilling you know i think my destiny and my calling and so in 2000 for fun with a friend we started flipping houses and that turned into an obsession and another career. I've been doing that for 21 years. We have house flips and I have a small real estate team at Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia. Got a couple online marketing businesses we started that sell, that generate leads for realtors. Also, the last 10 years, been investing in commercial real estate, which we can hopefully get into a little bit later.
0: Yeah, awesome. It's great. And so when you talk about that, the, you know, you became your worst version of yourself and then the best version of yourself, you know, when you discovered all that, what was that like? What what, what do you mean you were the worst version of yourself and what turned that around?
2: Yeah, I think I was bored. I think I was living out of, I had a lack of congruence with who I was. I mean, I was this high energy, fast paced guy. And I remember one day sitting in my office in the basement of my house And I had, we had 120 acres on top of a mountain and it was like this, you know, this rugged blue Ridge mountain land. I mean, I don't want to make too much of it, but it was, I remember seeing who it was on the caller ID and I picked up the phone. I was doing like nothing. And I picked up the phone like, hello, hello, how you doing? And they're like, Hey, what are you, what are you doing? I said, I'm so busy. And I just realized I'm lying. I wasn't so busy. I was creating busy work, but I wasn't really doing anything meaningful. And I didn't mean to lie, but just it helped me realize, man, like, I, you know, I've been doing this fast-paced thing ever since, like, high school, you know, Mm -hmm. when I started college. And now I was kind of bored. And um, I think that incongruence with who I was. Caused me to be not a great husband, father, etc. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I was as present for my kids because I was distracted by the fact that I was out of sync with who I was. Yeah, and I think that's what happens to a lot of people when they retire. I mean, if I'd have fast forwarded thirty years and retired at sixty-four instead of thirty-four, I would guess, you know, that maybe. I would become this really out of sync, incongruent person. I think you know the the number of people who die within a year or two after retiring is very high. Right. And I wonder if it's because of that they get bored and they feel like they have no purpose and they start focusing on what's wrong, et cetera. I don't know. That's just my opinion.
1: No, yeah. I totally get it. I agree with you. It's like they're not up to anything, and when you're not up to anything, what what are you doing here? Why are you here? Right? right? What's the point? Yeah, yeah it's great. Right. Yeah,
0: and, 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 well, did that coincide? You know, when I was we were talking and reading your bio and stuff, it went from you know money in the bank to two and a half million dollars in debt. Were those coincident? You know, were those happening in the same? Yeah, yeah.
2: Separate they happened. I think they. No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, part of it coincided. There's a lot more backstory there, but <laughs> part of it was I, I made some really poor investments in this. Mountain land. I spent more money on building barns and ponds and things than I should have for the nonprofit. I just did not have a good attitude about an understanding of money. It's really sad. You know, I was a uh, I thought, I'm a full-time investor now. But really, I wasn't. I was more of a full-time speculator now. And what I mean by that is this. Investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. Speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And speculating, you know, people think high risk leads to, I mean, low risk leads to low return. I think we all agree with that. But high risk doesn't necessarily lead to high return. We think that. And especially as an entrepreneur, I thought that. But, you know, Paul Samuelson was the first economist to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And he said, investing should be boring. True investing should be more like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. Right.
0: It's awesome. That's awesome. It's good. And how did you, so how did you work your way out of that debt? Give me a little bit of that story, because that's always... Interesting to people when they find themselves yeah. from one to the other, and then they come back. Yeah.
2: Just so I went from back. a million and a half in the bank when we sold our company to two and a half million dollars in debt with a business partner, and that business partner came to me. It happened to be exactly ten years after I sold my company, and so he quit and he, he came to me and said, "Look, I can't do this anymore. I can't pay half of these interest payments. They're on you now." Oh, so he he signed over That's the crazy. assets and the debt. And he said, It's yours. And we're still good friends today. He doesn't actually know how well this worked out for me because when he quit, he, like I said, he was giving me the assets and the debt. And so one morning, you know, you ask on this podcast, I know from other episodes that you ask, you know, what's one practice you do every day? Well, one thing I do is I like to do a morning, like a meditation and journaling time. And I don't do it every day, but I like to. And one Sunday morning, I was sitting there meditating, thinking about the two and a half million dollars in debt. And I had this thought, what would George Mueller do? Now, George Mueller is one of my heroes. He was a hellion in Germany in the early 1800s. He became a saint, so to speak, in England when he moved there. And he ended up housing a total of 10,000 orphans over most of the next century. He did that without ever taking on a penny of debt. He did that without asking for any money at all. And I had read some of his biographies. I was really impressed. I thought, what would George Mueller do? And I first thing I thought was, well, he wouldn't go into debt. So I was already in trouble in that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was in debt. I thought, what would he do now? Yeah. And I thought he would do something extremely radical, something very unconventional. And so my two friends got together with me in December of 07, said, Hey, um, are you going to declare bankruptcy? What are you going to do? One of them was the CPA's husband and a close friend, too. And I said, no, no, no. I'm going to give our way out of debt. And that went over really well, just like that. And uh, they said, what are you talking about? And I got my family together and I told my four young kids and my wife, hey, let's give our way out of debt. It may not work. We may end up bankrupt, but hey, we're on that track anyway. Let's try this. So starting January 1st of 2008, Mm -hmm. not knowing the incredible... Hurdle, We were getting ready to go down this black hole of the great financial crisis, hoping that it was like the worst was over. If you can try to put yourself in the mindset of January of 08, we hoped the worst was over. And of course, it hadn't really begun. And um, we started giving a painful amount of money every week to nonprofits, to our church, to mission things we're really passionate about, charity. And um, we gave that set amount every week. And we said, we're going to keep doing this until it gets resolved. Well, about four weeks later, I was at a Subway restaurant and a real estate developer was there and I got to talking with him and he made what seemed to be kind of a random comment And that random comment turned into this massive light bulb moment for me. And within two days, I was at the county planning and zoning commission telling them why I thought their law that prohibited me from dividing an expensive piece, five acre piece of waterfront property. Why the law actually would allow me to do it if I use this caveat. And the lady looked up over her glasses. She was older and she said, I've been working here for decades and no one has ever come up with such an outrageous idea to circumvent our law. And she (laughs) smiled and said, but you did. And she said, you actually came up with a loophole that I don't know why, but nobody's ever discovered. And she said, you can subdivide the property. So we had 13 more months of pain and difficulty in front of us we kept giving at that same rate but 13 months later we were completely debt free huh.
0: wow that's fabulous from, sub- from subdividing that property
2: and subdividing the property and selling a bunch of other properties during that same time frame but that subdividing was the key because that took me from like 860,000 of debt to like something like 500,000 in the bank like it that's was great. a 1.3 million dollar str- swing
0: and you wouldn't have gotten there had you not started doing something radical and opened yourself up to those new possibilities.
2: Is that what you're saying, Aaron? I can't prove that, right? But I really do believe that. Well, I totally I get it. It's a direct connection. I, I really do get it because I do yeah. think
0: it takes. You know, Christine and I are both fairly woo woo mm-hmm. like that. You know, like yeah, good the universe speaks and really woo woo like that. Yeah, and everyone that we have on the show, Paul, everyone has a morning practice of meditation and reflection, and uh, we have yet to meet a successful entrepreneur that doesn't take carve out that kind of time for that kind of thing. And, you know, even if you just get down to the basics of think and grow rich, it's, you know, what Napoleon Hill was talking about. It's that universal knowledge that comes in. And I just think it's a great story. And I, I have no doubt that that's why you opened yourself up to it. And one step led to another, to a random meeting and a comment and uh-huh. an idea. And that's, brilliant. It's
2: love it. I love it's it. It's happened to me several times in my life. And I was on a podcast two days ago where I told this story and somebody said, well, do you know, there's actually a study about this. And it's by a guy named Arthur C. Brooks. And he's got a talk he gave at Brigham Young University. He's He's from Syracuse, but he was speaking at Brigham Young and he talked about something called why giving matters. And apparently he, tracked a bunch of people. Some were atheists, some were religious, and they gave money and they they ended up growing their wealth and their happiness much, much more. These were people who gave like 10 to 15% away to charity. Mm.
1: Yes. Awesome. Wow. Isn't that great? One of the things I loved when we were chatting earlier, Paul, was that you like Aaron and I really, really love not only for yourself, but empowering others and creating passive income, creating a future of passive income yeah. where you're not always as you mentioned before, and I think any real estate agent could relate running that 80 hour a week treadmill kind of thing, you know? Right. And so can you speak a little bit about that? Because it's definitely one of our games. You know, Aaron and I are so excited about the change we made, I think 18 months ago to really start. Really? Yeah. 18 months ago, we started getting into passive income and real estate and, and empowering our team and creating their future. You know, I've got an agent right now on the team is 23 years old. If you could imagine him starting to build his passive income at that age. Yeah,
2: it's amazing. Game changer.
1: Wow. Yeah. So tell us about your ideas about that.
2: That's incredible. I'm writing my third, actually my fourth book right now. And it's called Warren Buffett's Rules for Real Estate Investors. Yeah. And one of Warren's principles is if you don't learn to make money while you sleep, you'll have to work until you die. One of our and favorites. So, you know that one. That's yeah, great. We that have a one, we, video that's just about that quote. It's exactly why. Oh, we- really? I'd yeah, love to see
0: it.
1: Yeah. It's the other one we love is "Be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful." Also, yeah, the, that's also awesome. You
2: know, so yeah. we have chapters about each one of those topics, and so. With commercial real estate, so a lot of people want to get from residential into commercial, or they want to at least have a commercial aspect to their business. They've heard, and I had heard, that the Forbes 400 wealthiest Americans often invest in commercial real estate. Sometimes they got there that way. Sometimes they maintain their wealth that way. Mm -hmm. And The problem is most of us don't know where the on-ramp is. Who do we trust? Where do we get started? Do I need millions? They have lots of questions. And so what we found is something that you are probably aware of, and that is commercial real estate syndication, which wasn't so famous in the early part of this century. But now after 2012, it's become very popular. Basically, it means that a company is like a syndicator pulls together a lot of investor money mm-hmm. and it invests in a commercial real estate project and shares, the profits between the investors and them. And the power of that to the average investor is this, you know, and I know if you flipped houses or if you have single family or duplexes, etc., it's not passive, you know, toilets, tenants, and trash are a lot harder than people think. I'm working mm-hmm. on an article right now called how to ruin your retirement invest in real estate (laughs) and the point is it's it's a lot more work than people think i was talking to a guy from your area in fact he was uh an ortho no he was an oral surgeon his wife was an orthodontist and he was telling me how he was building this portfolio of 20 homes but then he got real depressed and he said yeah i'm talking to painters between surgeries i'm screening tenants in the evening." I'm trying to build this 20 home portfolio so I can retire. And I'm only on home number three. And he was getting exhausted. And, you know, he he came to the conclusion why am I working so hard to make less than I could? Those same people who are working so hard, you know, to get those tax benefits and growth and income often. Mm. often they'd be just as well off or better off and they'd have way more free time if they could generate that money passively, truly passively by investing in funds or syndications. And so that's what I'm really passionate about telling the world.
0: Wow, cool. So people, are there set blocks of investment, you know,
2: $25,000 minimums or is it just fractional shares? How does it- A lot of syndicators, including our fund, Have a fifty thousand dollar minimum, and they work with accredited investors, which Mm -hmm. means investors with a pretty high net worth, or pretty high net income, Mm -hmm. or pretty high gross income, I should say. But um, yeah, fifty thousand is sort of a standard minimum. We've seen twenty five, we've seen a hundred, but it's usually in that range.
0: Great, and are there sets of options of different and you know things that the fund invests in, or is it just
2: yeah? Yeah. Some operators you know, have self-storage. Others have mobile home parks. Others have multifamily. There's senior living. There's even cell towers, uh, ATMs, which are not real estate, but they have great depreciation and write-offs. All kinds of things like that are available for investing. And they're, we like all those asset types.
0: Great. Very cool. I think that's awesome. Yeah. That's <laughs> one of the things that we both really get um, excited about, especially when we're talking to team leaders and brokerage owners is just that what you said, the Warren Buffett thing. If you don't learn how to make money when you sleep, while you sleep, you're going to work forever. And yeah. that opportunity for us is such a unspoken about, we're uneducated, right? There's no education really on how to find mm-hmm. those asset classes or find those ways to get the returns that anything people can tell us about it is just always super exciting.
2: Yeah.
1: Where if would you he, tell somebody new, somebody new wanting to check all that out? Where do they go to get educated on it or who do they talk to? If if we've got a team leader on here watching right now and they're like, that yeah. sounds interesting, how do they start?
2: Yeah, here's a couple resources. Number one, this book is by Brian Burke mm-hmm. and it's called The Hands-Off Investor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recommend you have Brian on your show, in fact. Oh, good.
1: Um, I'm writing writing it down.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Brian wrote this book. He's been in real estate for 31 years in syndication with multifamily for 21. And he's got a lot of experience. He's very careful, very conservative. And Brian Burke has this book called The Hands-Off Investor, Teaching People to Vet the Operators or Syndicators, Asset Managers, Property Managers, etc., uh, another good resource, although the name is might throw you a little, it's called the Real Estate Crowdfunding Review. Mm. Now, a guy named Ian Ippolito actually retired from his tech company that he sold. I think it was 2013. And he was trying to figure out, how do I review all these different passive opportunities? And he was focused on crowdfunding at first, but now he's not so much. But anyway, it's called the Real Estate Crowdfunding Review. There are thousands of members Many of them have invested with different syndicators, and they put their experiences on there. It's a very closely guarded site. I can't go look at the site since I'm actually a fund manager. It's only for investors.
0: Oh, cool. Isn't that great? So it's sort of like a Yelp for investors. Yeah, right. Interesting. That's a really interesting idea. It's very, very cool. All right. Very good.
1: All right, I have one more thing. I know we only have a few minutes left, but I definitely want to hear the story. I love, and I think Aaron and I are totally on the same page with you here. When you said you could look at your bank account and that gives you one experience of life, but where you were really finding joy was with your family. And most yeah. people have that so confused. Most people think I could be happy if I'm wealthy. I'd be happier if I had the money and it's not the game, right? Although we need that, that is not the game. So can you speak to that a little bit
2: Yeah, Christine, Aaron, when I get really rich, I hope I'm not mean to poor people like I am now. Okay, that was a joke. (laughs) No, in all seriousness, um, I think we were put on the earth to love people. And I think anybody who deeply reflects on this knows that we're here about relationships. We're here to love people and to care for others. And there's just a lot more joy in giving than receiving. And, you know, people say that, but then they don't act like it. I mean, last night I was struggling. I actually took some time out of my date time with my wife to go look at a new car. And I'm thinking, man, you know, really, was that a good use of my time? Mm. And now that I'm thinking about cars, no, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> seriously, I, I really think that anybody who reflects on it deeply knows that the things they thought would bring them happiness generally, they don't really give you as much happiness as we thought. We've got this big hole inside of ourselves. We're trying to stuff money and, you know, a power and uh, status and achievements and stuff and cars and houses in. and it never seems to fill the hole. And mm-hmm. so I think relationships you know obviously is a big part of that and the fact that we if we can get a handle on this and really do it there's a, a guy that i know who quit a very prestigious job and now he goes around the world just doing good for people he sometimes even shows up in a country with no plan Mm. or agenda. He might have a couple acquaintances or phone numbers he knows, and he'll end up going to meet them for coffee, and it'll lead to some great adventure. And the next thing they know, they're writing checks to people for thousands of dollars to help them out of their poverty. And it's it's adventures he never would have come by if he'd have stayed in his corporate job. And he gets so much joy doing that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm, wasn't that great? great? I think we can do both, though.
0: Yeah. And I don't know that it's, you know, yeah, I think that's the critical piece there is that it's not an either or it's an, and both kind of life that we have. And I, you know, that's really sort of the purpose of this podcast in general is to give broker owners, team leaders, you know, that opportunity to have, and both empower their teams and live a great life and see, see the pathway that it is to, you know, that a great life is accessed through empowering others. So
2: I agree.
1: Yeah. And to yeah. allow others around you to flourish and bring joy to your life, watching them win that
0: game. Right. That game right. right.
2: Yeah. So sure. true. Yeah. All
0: great? Right, great. Well, we, you know, we don't only really ask people for a book recommendation, but you already gave us that, which is just dynamite. We love that, you know, we got your practices. So I just really appreciate your time, Paul. I just really think it's, you know, to give people the opportunity to investigate commercial syndication and, and passive income and that whole world is really just a great takeaway for us. And, um, yeah, anything else you want to just contribute? Anything before we go?
2: Yeah, I just really just again want to re emphasize that first thing I said. There's nothing wrong with speculating, right. but the true wealth is generally gained slowly over time with more boring investments. I mean, Warren Buffett's life since he was about 18 has been incredibly boring, but he's become perhaps the most successful real estate or, excuse me, investor uh, in the world. And, um, you know, speculating is fun and it's exciting, but, and it's okay to do that. Like, you know, maybe getting some Bitcoin or gold or silver, these are investing in things that, you know, do not generate income, but true wealth, in my opinion, is assets that produce income. Mm -hmm. And if you can get that, sometimes it's not as exciting as Bitcoin that might go up 20% in a day or down 50%, but at least you are generating. You're putting together an asset base that's going to generate income while you sleep, and um, we've actually got a, a course on teaching people to do that. You can get it at wellingscapital.com/slash/resources.
0: Right. Awesome, perfect. And that's what I was going to ask. I just wanted to, if people get a hold of you, want to get a hold of you, we're going to put all that information in the um, show notes right. so that right. they, you know get in touch with you around the syndication, around the course, which is exciting. Any other offerings? Any other things that you have to offer that people might be? Uh,
2: At that same spot, people can get um, an overview of how to invest in self-storage and another booklet on how to invest in mobile home parks. I think that would be helpful for people. Yeah, great. All right, good.
1: All right. you, gentlemen. I just would like you both to acknowledge that I was right, and we have a master with us today. Uh, <laughs> it nice, was so awesome Christine. to be with you. Yeah. It was so great to get to know you and just to spend time with yeah, you.
2: Yeah, same here. I wish I could be in your office there with y'all, but uh, it's great to see you online. Great to see you again, Aaron. Aaron was actually on my podcast four years ago oh, called How to Lose Money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, lose that. money. That's, That's a podcast it. I want to hear. There it was. It's a great show. It was really yeah. just all about real estate and and what you know the mistakes entrepreneurs make yeah. when they're uh, starting their businesses. And I know that I've made a ton of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know?
2: we all have.
0: Yeah. yeah, we all have. All right, well, Paul, it's great to see you again. And uh, until next time, everybody, we're this is the uh, Abundant Life Podcast, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Abundant Life podcast, brought to you by Christine & Company and eXp Realty, the global online brokerage powered by top agents and cutting-edge technology. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Your hosts have been award-winning brokers, Christine Andreessen and Aaron Hendon. For more on them, visit christineandcompany.com.